Morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, if you guys would turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 19. Due to circumstances beyond my control, this sermon began being prepped at 5 o'clock this morning. So you're going to be preparing a sermon with me. (laughs) I will kind of walk us through it together and... uh, Maybe it points pause because it looks like I don't know what I'm going to say next. It's because I have no idea what I'm going to say next. So that may just be a reality. All right. So I know Caitlin just prayed. I just want to pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for setting us free from the bondage of sin and free from the wrath of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this season that we celebrate uh, you shedding light into our darkness and taking us from death to life. What a great Savior you are. We honor you and praise you for that. And I ask, Lord, that you would use this message this morning to propel us into 2021 as a church, that you would use um, your word and the power of your spirit to unify us in a unique way so that as we go into this new year, uh, we would experience a, a unity and your presence and your power and your pleasure in ways that are new and fresh. And we're grateful that, Jesus, when we pray these types of things, you are never reluctant to join us and to want to answer these prayers. And so, Lord, even as I attempt to encourage your church through your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, pour your spirit into hearts, encourage us, God. I know that there are so many um, that can hear my voice right now that just need to be encouraged, um, that are struggling with discouragement and depression and feeling like life has been derailed. And I ask that you would use this, uh, this fresh word this morning to bring life and joy and peace and hope and revival and renewal. Would you do that in our hearts, God? We, we need that new every morning, and sometimes we just need it a little more than others. And so, Lord, uh, for those who need a little more this morning, I pray that you would descend on them and give them what they need. Lord, that they would encounter you, the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. We want to encounter you this morning. We want to hear from you this morning uh, because you are great and worthy of, of, of all of our praise and all of our life. And so reveal yourself to us in greater ways that we might know you and see you and walk with you. Um, so as we go into, go into your word now, I pray that you would help us to understand what we're going to read this morning. I pray you'd help us to believe what we're read this morning, help us to love what we are believing, and then help us to live it to the max, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so a few weeks ago, uh, Tyler Jordan and I shared with the church that we're going to try in 2021 to do something we haven't done before, and that is to have a a Christ Church reading plan where we want to encourage the whole church together. We're going to be reading through just the New Testament um, for 2021, and that will include it's, it's one, basically one chapter a day, five days a week, two days off. And so we've talked about that. Now, the reason for this is multifaceted, um, but one of them was we believe this was a way to build maybe another layer of unity within our church, especially when we may end up being more scattered um, during at least the first half of the year, hopefully not past that, 
maybe not even all of the first half of the year, but whatever that looks like, it'll help unify us more and connect us more if we're all reading the same things together. So when we meet in our groups of three, uh, we'll t- I'm going to talk about that next week more, but when we start meeting in our groups of three in January, we'll not only have uh, Sunday messages to review and apply, but we'll also have um, another talking point of how God is speaking to us through this reading plan. Um, so that's, what, um, that's, that's more for next week. But for this morning, I want to talk more about this whole idea of, of reading God's Word together. And I want to bring another level of motivation to us other than just so that we're unified. Um, why Scripture? Why focus on Scripture as for our unity, to encourage our unity as a church? And why would we suggest that we kind of do this together um, for this new year? So I brought with me, I was thinking about that this this morning, and I had these on my bookshelf. This is, these are, this is kind of like Matt's Bible history, if you will. So this is, this is, as far as I can remember back, this is my first Bible. It actually is a hand-me-down. I had four, four sisters, three older. So this one is dated September 27th, 1970. So I was one years old. But this is my sister's. And I remember when I got this, it was like a Sunday school gift that all the kids got. And I remember when she got it. I don't remember when she got it. I remember when she I outgrew it. I guess she got her own. I don't know what it was, another one. And so I inherited this one. So that was one. Then I got this next one here that I at least kept or still have. This is from my parents. Um, this is from my birthday in January of 1985. So some of you guys weren't even born in 85. But so they got me this uh, New American Standard Bible. And then probably because I wasn't smart enough to know how to read that Bible, they got me the Living Bible, (laughs) which is kind of like, you know, for the person who can't read, that was me. I learned to read through Runaway Ralph on the Mouse and the Motorcycle my junior year of high school. This is marked December 25th. It was a Christmas present in 1986. And all the markings I have in here, it's just fun to see what caught my eye and what didn't in 1986. And then the last one I got was also from my mom and dad. This was from October 13th, 1989. And so I wondered, why did my mom and dad buy me so many Bibles? And it's probably because they knew I needed. <laughs> I needed lots of help. So they kept, they kept buying me Bibles, one after the other. And I have a feeling that my parents, my mom and dad, who may even be watching, I don't know, we send them a link this morning, they're probably watching this. They knew, and they had a commitment to make sure that there was a Bible in my hands that I could understand. They were committed to that. They were committed to making sure we had a Bible that we could read. So they kept infusing me with another one and a different version to make sure that I would read it. And they knew that if I would voluntarily read it, voluntarily read it, that God would work. They had that confidence. They had that level of confidence in God's word. They knew that it would happen. King David believed the same thing. We're going to see that in a minute. As did Paul and Timothy and Peter and the writer of Hebrews. All of them had an extreme confidence in the word of God that if you would just read it, just read it, it'll have an impact on your life. But let's not take my word for it. Let's dig into at least two of these this morning. I want to look at um, the author of Hebrews after we take a few minutes to just look at these verses in Psalm 19. Love these verses. I'm sure they're familiar to many of you, but I'm going to jump into verse 7. And if you're familiar with Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6 are all about God, God's work in the world, his, his revealing himself through creation. And then in verse 7, it begins a, a transition to he reveals himself through his word. So he reveals himself through his works, and then he reveals himself through himself through his word. So I'm just going to jump into verse 7 where we talk about his word here. And here's what it says. So this is Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So I just want to help us. I'm going to walk you through noticing the things that I noticed when I looked at this this morning afresh with new eyes. The first thing is this. I want you to notice the phrase, of the Lord. Did you see that? How many times did you repeat? I think it's six times in here there's this phrase, of the Lord. But he exchanges what it is of the Lord for different words. But the the heart of this, I think, is all about of the Lord. So you see it in verse 7, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, verse 9. The fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. These verses are all about the communication of God, the verbal, the written communication of God. In other words, God here is speaking. This is about how God speaks to his people, how God is a speaking God. He's a revealing God. He reveals himself to us so that we're not left in the dark. We're not left wondering and wandering, but he speaks to us and he wants us to know the reality of himself in all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his splendor. And, and isn't it true that don't we weigh the words of someone based on who they are? It doesn't how they get their importance. So the greatness, the importance, the power of the words that someone speaks is really directly related to the greatness and the importance and the power of the person who's speaking them, right? And so if you consider verses 1 through 7 for a moment and you think about this God who creates the universe by speaking a word, this God who created everything, Everything we see as we walk around every day is the God who is now speaking to us. So he better have our attention. He should have our attention in light of what he has done in creating all things. And we see that when God speaks, things are created. When God speaks, mountains shake. When God speaks, things go down. Stuff happens when God speaks. So that's the first thing. Second thing I noticed this morning from this is, is seen in these clear words that when God speaks, I don't know if you notice them, but at the end of each line, your Bible's in poetry. At the end of each line, it tells us something about the, the, the quality of God speaking. When God speaks, it's perfect, it says in verse 7. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. Verse 9, it's clean. It's true. God's words have a quality to them that are unlike anybody else's spoken words. You can kind of sum this up and say, look, when God speaks, it's really good. (laughs) It's really, really good when God speaks. When God speaks, he says exactly what we need to hear. He knows what you need to hear more than you know what you need to hear. And so he speaks the things that he knows that our hearts desire, the things that our hearts need to understand, the things that we need to know about. And when God speaks, it is full of truth and life and reality. Third thing in here, you see, we notice that he is speaking that it has an intended effect. It has a goal. God speaks with a purpose, and his purpose is listed here. You'll see him again. Look at verse 7. What's the first one there? You guys help me. What's the first one there? What is one reason that he speaks? 
for our good. What is it? Good. He revives the souls. I want to make sure everybody's awake. He revives our souls. Does anybody's soul ever need reviving? <laughs> oh, every morning. Do you ever feel discouraged, depressed, or lonely, or lowly? God speaks. His word is for the sake of the reviving of our souls. He says it is to make wise the simple. Any of us ever feel simple? <laughs> ever come to a challenge and you're like, duh. <laughs> like you have no idea what to do or what to even think about the problem that you're facing. Look, he gives us wisdom so that we can live the way he created human beings to live. It says he rejoices the heart. His word is meant to rejoice the heart. So maybe this morning you're just flat out sad. I can remember telling Elsabeth not even a few weeks ago, just in light of just life and just the pain that I see people in, the suffering, the trials, the sickness, sometimes I'm just sad, just sad over the stuff that I see. And it says that God's word is meant to help lift us out of our sadness and to help us rejoice from the heart. He goes on to say that God speaks to enlighten the eyes. His word is meant to enlighten our eyes, to give us clear thoughts, to expose sin, to help us see the things we're doing that please him and the things that aren't so that we can, we can keep walking. He helps us to see the stuff that otherwise would seem cloudy that we might miss in our own lives. And he allows us to see those things through his word. Another goal his word has is to warn us. God speaks to us in order to protect us from pain, from stumbling, from getting in trouble, from doing things that, that maybe we would know not to do otherwise, but then we would trip into them. But he warns us in his word. Because he's good. And then lastly, it's meant to reward us. As we read his word, as we take his word in, he promises at the end that there will be reward. And last, the last one here is, I just want to notice, what should we do in response? The psalmist tells us, in light of all this, what should we do? So, an example, if, if in this box, and for those of you who are here Wednesday night, there's no raccoon in the box, <laughs> oh man, no raccoon. If I told you that what was in this box was perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and it was able to bring life to your weary soul, wisdom to your stupid mind, joy to your sad heart, clarity to your darkened eyes. It would warn you about future trouble that you might walk into and would yield great reward. It's all in this box. I would guess you would all be very eager to either know what's in the box or to take the box, wouldn't you? You'd want it if I said it had all of that in it for you and for your life. We would be eager to get our hands on it. And that's what David says here in verse 10. Basically, he's trying to tell us, look, if God's words are really that good, be eager for them, desire them, want them, come after them. So look at verse 10. He says, more to be desired. That's a heart word, not just thought about, but, but craved. The more to be desired are God's words than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey 
and drippings of the honeycomb. More to be desired are they than money and honey. That's what he's saying to us. More than money and honey is our heart to desire God's words. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think about money probably too often. I can desire money and what I think I can get from money or how much money I need to save so that when I'm in the nursing home sucking in from a straw that I'll be able to survive a little longer. I can think that way. Money is a big deal. In their culture, obviously, it was gold. For us, it's not so much. But the way he even words this, more to be desired than gold, more to be desired than money, more to be desired than much money, more to be desired than much fine money. It's like, man, how much do we desire money or the things we can get with money? And he says, desire God more. Desire his words more. Desire what he provides to you, to you through his word more than that. And then he transitions to the sweetness of honey. If I could guess, find out what everybody's favorite dessert is. Let's say, if I could give you a lifetime supply of that dessert at your hand every moment. <laughs> desire God more. Desire his word more. Desire what his word can feed your soul more than you desire the sweetest dessert that you could ever fathom. So God puts it this way. So I guess maybe a good little test for us could even be, how much do you desire money or how much do you desire desserts? And is there something in your soul that desires God's word more? More. Are there times throughout your week where something inside of you just stirs and you know you just want more of God's words? Is that a part of you? Do you feel that? We're not talking about whether we respond to it yet, but is the desire there? It's a good thing if the desire is there. Before we all feel condemned for not reading it enough, let's rejoice in the fact that the desire is there. If you've been born again, there's a craving in your soul by God that believes these things are true. You've experienced it. You've been there where God's word brings you joy or wisdom or hope. It changes your reality and you say, thank you. And you can go about your day in a whole new way. We've experienced it. And I think what David is trying to do is trying to stir up our affections and to believe in a greater way what we know is true, that God's word revives the heart and brings joy to the soul and enlightens the eyes and gives wisdom to those who read it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe it? And if you believe it, have you experienced it lately? I pray that as we enter 2020 that whether it's only through this reading plan or in this reading plan in other ways, that we as a church will experience these things in new ways. Experience this in new ways together as a church, enjoying what God has said to us in his word as he reveals himself to us in them. All right, so there's mini-sermon number one. The next one is from Hebrews 4. So if you don't mind turning to Hebrews 4, I want to do one from the Old Testament and one from the New This one's going to take a little more thinking. This is a little bit, a little bit trickier to unwrap. 
I, I'm, I'm guessing you guys have heard this verse before. I'm in Hebrews 4.12. Can I ask you guys to raise your hand if you've heard this verse before? <laughs> I feel like we all have heard this verse before. We've probably heard it taught many times. And every time I hear it, I wonder, why is it here? So let me just read it. Verse 12. This is the verse I want to focus on. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, if you've ever ever been reading through Hebrews, this comes out of nowhere. Now, that's my experience anyway. I'm reading along and I'm like, okay, rest, rest, God's people, rest, rest. The word of God is living. What? Like, where did that come from? So I want to help us see that. If you notice, here's what we're doing. We're doing this together. We're, we're going to basically do preaching equip meetings here as a live audience. What does verse 12 start with? What word? Four. So that should trigger us. That means it's connected to the verse before it, at least maybe more. Right? You guys know that by now. We've talked about this. So, force. That means at least to verse 11. So, what's verse 11 say? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, that doesn't help, does it? (laughs) That just raises more questions. What is rest? How do I strive to get it? What is the disobedience that stops me from getting the rest? And what on earth does this have to do with the word of God being living and active? Right? That's where it lands me. So now I've got to figure out what the heck verse 11 means in order to understand verses 12 and 13. This is a good exercise. We need to learn to do this. Let's keep learning to do this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to cheat for us because I kind of know the answer. I hope I do. <laughs> I better. Verse uh, 16 from chapter 3. So we're going to have to jump back a little further than we do other times to discern what's going on. And I could, I could summarize it, but I think verse 16 of chapter 3 summarizes better than me. So chapter 3, verse 16, we're jumping into the middle of something here about rest, getting rest, soul rest, gospel rest. So verse 16, we're going Old Testament here. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So going back to Egypt, going back to God's people, promised land. Okay, that helps a little bit. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So they heard and yet they rebelled. All these people who left Egypt and were led by Moses. Verse 17, chapter 3. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Okay, so now I got a key word there. What's the last word of verse 11 in chapter 4? Disobedient. This is why paper Bibles are the way to go, because you can see more text at one time. So we got the word disobedient. Aha. So they were disobedient. And now I see the word disobedient at the end of 11. There's a connection here. Why were they, what were they disobedient? What was their disobedience? What was it? Verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So what was their disobedience? They didn't believe. Okay. They didn't believe What? Well, let's read chapter 4, verse 1. Let's keep reading. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, that's good news for us, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us 
just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. All right, so stop. We're trying to understand, make sure we're all tracking with why we're even doing what we're doing right now. We're trying to figure out the connection between verse 12 and verse 11, which leads us here. Why, how were they disobedient? They didn't believe. They didn't believe what? Verse 2 of chapter 4, they didn't believe the message, the good news that came to us, but the message they heard, they did not, it did not benefit them. The message, the word message there is the word word. It's the word logos. It's the same word for the word in verse 12 of chapter 4. Is everybody tracking with this? Am I jumping around too much? So, When it says in verse 2 of chapter 4, for the good news came to us just as to them, but the word they heard did not benefit them. Now we know why he's talking about the word in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living. Tracking? Are we there? Okay. Just make sure I'm not flying past everybody. So let's connect this together. They didn't believe the word. They didn't believe the message. They didn't believe the word. They did not believe when God said to them, you can have the promised land, right? They didn't believe it. When God said, I'm going to give you this land of rest, I'm going to conquer enemies. They didn't believe God's word. They believed that life was better back in Egypt, which is just something to it's mind-blowing. How heart-revealing is that for us, right? (laughs) We do the same thing. But for us, we look at them, we're like, duh, same is true of us, huh? With things we do. But anyway, so here we are. So they didn't believe the word. And I want you to notice one thing, that it talks about how it didn't benefit them. Did you catch that? Chapter 4, verse 2. It didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So, in case you're tracking with me here, we've got in, in verse 2, we've got the gospel of good news, and now we've got Community right? We've got community. It's there. We've got gospel, and now we have community. Why didn't God say, hey, Caleb and Joshua, you guys believe, so go. I'll have hail fall. It'll kill all your enemies, and it won't touch the crops. God could have done that. Everybody else doesn't come in, but they do because they believed. I think it's just another showing in scripture. We talk about this all the time of God's value on community, how he wants to move people together as a group in a direction. And I think that's important. God, for God, this is important. And I even wonder for his church how important it is for a church to be united in what they believe in order to move into a direction. For us to believe the same things that God says. For us to be encouraged in the same ways of what God is doing so that we move together. We believe his word together. So make sure we connect this now. This is how we now read verses 11 and 12. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of unbelieving disobedience of God's word. For the word of God is living and active. Do you see the connection? I'm going to do it again. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience to God's words. For the word of God is living and active 
It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you see what he's doing? He's building an argument here that God's word is active. Believe it. Believe it. Obey it. Believe God when he says what he says because his word is alive and is active. So there's a few observations from this that I hope will encourage you in the reading of God's word. The first is this. God's word is living and active. Preachers don't make it living and active. Living nativity drive-throughs don't make God's word come alive. Movies about Jesus' life doesn't make the Bible come alive. Sorry, what's that place in Lancaster? Sight and sound. I like that place, actually. But they don't make God's word come alive. This says his word is alive. It is living. It is active. No one makes it that way. It's because when God speaks, it's alive. So every time you read this book, it's God speaking to you. He's talking, and it's living words that come out of his book. He is alive, and he is active. The second thing I want us to see from this is that his living words go very deep into your heart. Very deep. I think that's the reason that the author here piles up these phrases, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. He's just trying to pile up phrases to make the point that God's word is living and active and it gets down into every nook and cranny of your heart and mind and life. That's what it's supposed to do. It discerns thoughts and it discerns your heart. It knows what you're thinking and feeling. And specifically, God's word is trying to discern, help you discern, where there is belief and where there's unbelief. In context, that seems to be what's going on. So you read God's word and it exposes down in the deep parts of your heart and your emotions and your mind where you're believing things about God that are true and where you're believing things about God that are not true. And that is the point of God's word. That's one of the benefits of reading God's word. And what I love about this is, and I think this is some of the problems sometimes with so many Bible studies in America, and this is why as a church we don't do Bible studies in our community groups. We're trying to review and apply God's word or, or at least be doers of God's word, is if you read this, who is studying who in verses 12 and 13? Look at verse 13. Who's doing the studying? Are we studying God's word? <laughs> what is God's word doing? It's studying us. <laughs> We've got it flipped around backwards sometime. We should say, instead of saying, I'm going to go study my Bible, we say, I'm actually going to go sit down and have my Bible study me. Because <laughs> that's what it's doing. That's what it says, right? I mean, look Look at it. Look at verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom you must give an account. In other words, God is seeing into you as you read his word. His eyes are looking at you. He's seeing down into you. He wants you to see who you really are and what you really believe. He wants you to see if you really believe the things that are true about him about his love for you, about his acceptance of you, about his grace, about his mercy, about his sovereign power. Do you believe it? And his kindness, he wants to show us that so that as life goes on and trials come, and they will, we're believing. So that when we think, I'd rather be back in Egypt, we'll go, no, that's a lie. I really would not rather do that. 
He challenges our believing through his word to prepare us for times of trial, for times of suffering, or maybe for times of too much ease. (laughs) But he's preparing us. So let's keep in mind as we come to God's word that we're going to God's word to see the greatness and the glory of God and for him to search our heart to help us see the stuff that otherwise we would be blind to so that we can believe what's really true about God. It goes really good for me on a day when I am believing what is true about God. And it goes really sad for me on days when I don't. And I have a hunch the people in my life that are the closest to me know the difference. They know the days when I'm believing who God is and what he's done for me, his love for me, his acceptance of me, and his power in my life and his sovereign hand. And then there's those times when I don't believe. And so as I read God's word, it exposes that, helps me to see myself for who I really am, him for who he really is. So it's about belief. What do you believe, love, treasure, adore about Jesus Christ? Do you believe that his very words to you are sure and perfect and right and clean and true? And that as I take his words in, it will bring life to my soul, wisdom to my mind, joy to my heart, clarity to my eyes, warn me of trouble for my day, and yield good fruit in my life. Do you believe that? This is the way of rest for our souls. I know that what I really believe about this book isn't necessarily what I say as much as how I interact with it. And so I would guess if we went around this room, if I surveyed everybody at home, we would all, if you're a believer, you would give this a 10 out of 10 on the scale of God's word, infallible, perfect, pure, holy, righteous, just, good. But then if we shared our commitment to reading it, Sometimes that can waver, can it? How I live and what I believe don't always line up, do they? And so every year, we make New Year's resolutions. We'll all prick our finger in a moment and shed our blood on the, some kind of signature thing. No, we won't. But I know there's a desire in us for more, for more of him and more of his word. And I know some of you guys have great reading plans that you've stuck through for a very long time, and I don't want to in any way interrupt that. Um, but I do think for those of me that don't have a plan or would like a plan or a way for us to get together in this and do it together and encourage one another together and do this in, in community, I think it's a great way for us to build as a church, to encourage one another, to keep pushing one another in grace-filled ways to read and spend time letting God's word examine our hearts. So if I had to kind of sum these two passages up, I would say this. I think soul rest happens. Then you can want rest for your soul I I just do. I mean, that's what I crave is being able to walk into any situation and know I'm at peace. I've got rest in my soul. Soul rest happens, I think, when a community of people strive together. I'm trying to use as many words from the text, the two passages as I can here. Soul rest happens when a community of people strive together to enter Jesus' rest by reading the living word, so that the Spirit can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts to expose where we believe and disbelieve that Jesus alone gives life, joy, wisdom, and great reward. That make sense? 
kind of the summary. Soul rest happens, and I think we all want it. God wants to give it to us. Jesus wants to reveal more of himself to us. Soul rest happens when a community of people strive together to enter Jesus' rest by reading the living word of God so the Spirit can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and expose where we believe and disbelieve, both, that Jesus alone gives life, joy, wisdom, and gives great reward. So I'm going to now take my computer out and I'm going to email everybody. I hope I have it all queued up. I thought it'd be exciting and fun to do this live. Maybe we should do like a countdown. Five, four, three. I want to email everybody right now together and maybe give us a second to look at it. The reading plan that we put together, we didn't put it together, we stole it. We did not write a reading plan and I wouldn't write a reading plan. Three, two, one. Says it went. You heard it? Dling, dling. There it goes. Got it? All right, cool. So there is a simple, I hope, reading plan um, for all of us to have to used together for 2020. The beauty is today is only the 27th. So you can actually get, for those of you, like, some of you I don't like because you're already like, going to be ahead a month and you can't do that. It's cheating, all of you. We're doing it together. So you have to stay on the day. I'm kidding. But it's five days on, two days off. I think that is good for us. Um, and I want to give you two, two questions. For those that have been a part of Christ Church for a while, we kind of stopped doing these questions when COVID hit. But we would end every service by taking five minutes in quiet or in conversation with others, answering two questions. And I, I had trouble this morning, like, what were those two questions again? What was the best thing Matt said? And <laughs> those were definitely not them. I think the first one was something along the line of, what is God telling you to believe or do? Something along those lines. So I was thinking, what if we all just were entertaining those questions? So, so you're going to begin in Mark chapter 1 on January 1st. So you read Mark chapter 1. Just ask yourself, wait, what is, what is this showing me about God, telling me about God? What does he want me to believe or do? Is there something he wants me to believe or do? And you can tease that question out more, but that just makes it simple. I can remember that. Believe or do. And the second question is, okay, then what am I going to do about it? Remember when we studied James, it's all about we're going to be doers of the word, not hearers only, and deceive ourselves. So two simple questions to attach to each day. Read your one chapter and just ask yourself, what does this show me about God? What, 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 what can I believe about my Savior, about Jesus? What is glorious about him? Or what is he telling me to do? Is, is my Savior telling me to do something? Is God telling me to do something? What, what's the thrust of this passage for me to believe or to do? And then just ask yourself, so what am I going to do about that? What, what am I going to do about that? What, what can I practically do to believe that more? Or what can I practically do to do what it says to do? And that's between you and God to, to talk through, but also for you and other people, especially in your groups of three, to be talking about, to be sending each other texts. I know there's a lot of groups that do that pretty regular. But just to be interacting, or if everyone on January 1st reads the same passage, it should cultivate easy conversation. Hey, I read Mark 1. Here's what, here's what I think God told me to do, or here's what God showed me about himself in that. And for us to share those encouragements with one another, especially during this next season where we might not see each other's face-to-face as much as we were before. Does that make sense? All right. Cool. Cool. You're welcome. I want to pray. I want to pray. I, I, hope this, I hope this helps you guys. I hope you felt encouraged. Like, I feel like 
I underestimate the value of God's word unless I'm reminded from God's word of the value of God's word. Otherwise, it's like, oh, yeah, it's important. Oh, yeah, it's important. And then I read it. Oh, yeah, it's important. I forget. No, it's really good. It's really, really good to read God's word. And so let's sneak it into the, into the nooks and crannies of our lives in more ways in 2021 than we did in 2020. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the good news that you came to take our sin and all of our punishment and all the wrath of God so that we could know you and walk with you and be reconciled to the Father. And we thank you this morning for revealing all of that gospel goodness, and there's so much more than that, to us through your written word. You did not have to do it that way, but you did. And we, God, help us to stand amazed at that reality. Amazed that we have your very words in our laps right now. Your very spoken, inspired, God-breathed, inerrant, glorious, good words in our hands every day. God, we thank you for the printing press. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for electronic copies of your word. God, we are ridiculously blessed. We need to be reminded of the people who lived before us that sacrificed their lives, were literally burned alive so we could have your word. That is outstanding. That is mind-blowing, God. What people have done and how you worked through people who are willing to sacrifice their lives so today we could have a copy of your word. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And I ask now, Lord, that as we open your word today and throughout 2021, Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would descend in power and in might on every one of us. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word. Do that in us, I pray. May we find our souls being revived, joy being brought to our hearts, wisdom being released, clarity of thought coming. God, we, we want your presence through your word and your spirit. And so I pray each time we open your word that it would not be ho-hum, but God, that you would speak to us, that we would see what you're doing in your word. We'd see your character and your glory and your love and your grace and that it would feed our souls with a proper understanding of who you are. And we ask you to shine the light of your word into our hearts. Oh God, it's so good for you to reveal to us where we're not believing what is true about you. Help us to receive that when you do it. Help us in our unbelief to continue believing. God, we know we're all believing unbelievers. We know that. We know we believe, but we have so many ways we don't. So help us, I pray, in our unbelief to believe the things that you want to show us that we struggle with. Strengthen your church. Build your church. Unify us around you, Jesus, and your glory and your gospel and your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.